Welcome back to the Hemingway List, the podcast of Hemingway Brilliance. Talking about Book 11, Chapter 6, at the introduction of Helena, she seemed to be a character without any depth. More and more details have been added, which enrich her character. What's become your opinion of Helena after learning this and all the other characteristics in the book until now? Helena is trying to be freed from her marriage. Are you sympathetic towards her goal or don't you like it? And the Abe isn't willing to give Helena her way despite being astounded by her arguments he already made. Helena... Oh, because he doesn't want to renounce the... Sorry, I read that wrong. The Abe isn't willing to give Helena her way despite being astounded by her argument because he doesn't want to renounce the arguments he already made. Will Helena be able to convince him of her way? She certainly is a uh, slippery one, this Helena. Conniving and smart in her own sort of, uh, you know, domain. Kara Kikar says, Ever since Helena morphed into Regina George, in my mind, nothing has happened to shake that view. I don't know who Regina George is. Should I Google that? Regina George is the main girl from Mean Girls. The main Mean Girls from Mean Girls. Okay, very good. Nothing has happened to shake that view. Just like Regina George is more complex than a caricature, I'm glad to see Helena have some consequences to her social machinations. I hope she gets her wish for Pierre's sake. There was a line that mentioned... Uh, sorry, a line describing her that mentioned parts of her dress were transparent. I remember this recent article talking about the lost cloth that achieved this effect. BBC article linked. The legendary fabric that no one knows how to make. I love that when there's just like a thing that used to exist and now we just don't know how to make it anymore. What's the other one that comes to mind? There's another one. Oh. can't remember i know there was a plant that was used as a contraceptive if women ate this particular flower you know they couldn't get pregnant and we essentially harvested it into extinction so it doesn't exist anymore but i think it was like the ancient greeks or something um used to you know have it readily on hand and it was as effective, you know, as the pill. They kind of had the pill in a natural form, but we don't have it anymore because we ate it all. Um, that reminds me of that. You know, there's a fabric, a transparent fabric that we don't know how to make anymore. Twisted Every Way says, Oh, Helena, such a manipulator. Converting religions just to get out of a marriage seems like a drastic step. But I guess it was pretty much the only option. Divorce wasn't legal at this time, right? correct <clears throat> I hope she gets what she wants because hashtag free Pierre but then I hope she runs off with the young prince and we never hear of her again it's so strange to me that she wants to get out of this marriage with Pierre fine I get that and she, she's also seeing two people at the same time and um kind of taking this moral stand that they've got no right to protest against that and she's not in the wrong fine okay cool bold move not exactly admirable but fine 
the thing that amazes me is that she wants to get out of her marriage to Pierre in order to get married to someone else. You know? That's crazy to me. Like, why why would she want to do that? Knowing the way she is. She likes to see multiple people. She doesn't like being married by the sound of it. Why then does she seem to want to just dive straight from one to another? Free Pierre, for sure. Pierre deserves better. Prince Kane says this, Helena really seems to be following in Henry VIII's footsteps by bending religion to suit herself, but I wonder how the end of her story will turn out. And Haruki says, it's going to be interesting seeing what the next con Helena pulls will be. There's no end to the machinations with her family. Yeah, they are conniving. Those are Carragans. Carragans. All right, let's read chapter seven. Helena understood that the question was very simple and easy from the ecclesiastical point of view and that her directors were making difficulties only because they were apprehensive as to how the matter would be regarded by the secular authorities. So she decided that it was necessary to prepare the opinion of society. She provoked the jealousy of the elderly magnate and told him what she had Sorry, I lost my spot. I just resized my window and lost my spot. She provoked the jealousy of the elderly magnate and told him that what she had told what he what she had told her other suitor, that is, she put the matter so that the only way for him to obtain a right over her was to marry her. The elderly magnate was at first as much taken aback by this suggestion of marriage with a woman whose husband was alive as the younger man had been, but Helena's imperturbable conviction that it was as simple and natural as marrying a maiden had its effect on him, too. Had Helena herself shown the least sign of hesitation, shame, or secrecy, her cause would certainly have been lost. But not only did she show no signs of secrecy or shame, on the contrary, with good-natured naivety, she told her intimate friends, and these were all Petersburg, that both the prince and the magnate had proposed to her and that she loved both and was afraid of grieving either. A rumour immediately spread in Petersburg, not that Helena wanted to be divorced from her husband, had such a report spread, many would have opposed so illegal an intention, but simply that the unfortunate and interesting Helena was in doubt which of the two men she should marry. The question was no longer whether it was possible, but only which was the better match and how the matter would be regarded at court. There were, it is true, some rigid individuals, unable to rise to the height of such a question, who saw in the project a desecration of the sacrament of marriage, but there were not many such and they remained silent. While the majority were interested in Helena's good fortune and in the question which match would be the more advantageous. Whether it was right or wrong to remarry, while one had a husband living, they did not discuss, for that question had evidently been settled by the people wiser than you or me, as they said, and to doubt the correctness of that decision would be to risk exposing one's stupidity and incapacity to live in society. Only Maya Dmitrievna Arik Ashimova, Arik Akrosimova, who had come to Petersburg that summer to see one of her sons, allowed 
herself plainly to express an opinion contrary to the general one. Meeting Helena at a ball, she stopped her in the middle of the room and amid general silence said in her gruff voice, So, wives of living men have started marrying again. Perhaps you think you have invented a novelty. You have been forestalled, my dear. My dear, it was thought of long ago. It is done in all the brothels. And with these words, Maria Dmitrievna, turning up her wide sleeves with her usual threatening gesture and glancing sternly around, moved across the room. Though people were afraid of Maria Dmitrievna, she was regarded in Petersburg as a buffoon. And so... Of what she had said, they only noticed, and repeated in a whisper, the one coarse word she had used, supposing the whole sting of her remark to lie in that word. Prince Vasily, who of late very often forgot what he had said, and repeated one and the same thing a hundred times, remarked to his daughter, whenever he chanced to see her, Helena, I have a word to say to you and he would lead her aside, drawing her hand downward. I have heard of certain projects concerning, you know, well, my dear child, you know how your father's heart rejoices to know that you, you have suffered so much. But my dear child, consult only your own heart, that is all I have to say, and concealing his unvarying emotion, he would press his cheek against his daughters and move away. Bilibin, who had not lost his reputation of an exceedingly clever man, and who was one of the disinterested friends so brilliant a woman as Helena always has, men friends who can never change into lovers, once gave her his view of the matter at a small and intimate gathering. Listen, Bilibin, said Helena, she always called friends of that sort by their surnames, and she touched his coat sleeve with her white be-ringed fingers. Tell me, as you would a sister, what I ought to do. Which of the two? Bilibin wrinkled up the skin over his eyebrows and pondered with a smile on his lips. You are not taking me unawares, you know, said he. As a true friend, I have thought and thought again about your affair. You see, if you marry the prince, he meant the younger man, and he crooked one finger, you forever lose the chance of marrying the other and you will displease the court besides. You know there is some kind of connection. But if you marry the old count, you will make his last days happy, and as widow of the grand, the prince would no longer be making a mesalliance by marrying you. And Bilibin smoothed out his forehead. That's a true friend, said Helena, beaming, and again touched Bilibin's sleeve. But I love them, you know, and I don't want to distress either of them. I would give my life for the happiness of them both. Bilibin shrugged his shoulders, as much as to say that not even he could help in that difficulty. Un maîtres femme, a masterly woman. That's what is called putting things squarely. She would like to be married to all three at the same time, thought he. But tell me, how will your husband look at the matter? Bilibin asked. His reputation being so well established that he did not fear to ask so naive a question. Will he agree? Oh, he loves me so, said Helena, who for some reason imagined that Pierre, too, loved her. He will do anything for me. 
Bilibin puckered his skin in preparation for something witty. Even divorce you, said he. Helena laughed. Among those who ventured to doubt the justifiability of the proposed marriage was Helena's mother, Princess Kuragina. She was continually tormented by jealousy of her daughter, and now that jealousy concerned a subject near to her own heart, she could not reconcile herself to the idea. She consulted a Russian priest as to the possibility of divorce and remarriage during her husband's lifetime, and the priest told her that it was impossible, and to her delight showed her a text in the gospel which, as it seemed to him, plainly forbids remarriage while the husband is alive. Armed with these arguments which appeared to her unanswerable, she drove to her daughter's early one morning so as to find her alone. Having listened to her mother's objections, Helena smiled blandly and ironically. But it says plainly, whoever shall marry her that is divorced, said the old prince, says, Ah, mamma, ne dis pas de petits vous ne comprenez rien, Does my position gida de Oh, mamma, don't talk nonsense. You don't understand anything. In my position, I have obligations, said Helena. Changing from Russian, in which language she always felt that her case did not sound quite clear, into French, which suited it better. But, my dear, oh, mamma, how is it that you don't understand the Holy Father who has the right to grant dispensations... Just then a lady companion who lived with Helena came in to announce that his highness was in the ballroom and wished to see her. Non di lui que je ne veux pas le voir, que je suis furis contre lui par quil ma amic parole. <laughs> no, tell him I don't wish to see him. I am furious with him for not coming, for, sorry, for not keeping his word to me. Countess, there is mercy for every sin, said a fair-haired young man with a long face and nose as he entered the room. The old prince rose respectfully, sorry, the old princess rose respectfully and curtsied. The young man who had entered took no notice of her. The princess nodded to her daughter and sidled out of the room. Yes, she is right, thought the old princess, all her convictions dissipated by the appearance of his highness. She is right, but how is it that we, in our irrevocable youth, did not know it? Yet it is so simple, she thought, as she got into her carriage. By the beginning of August, Helena's affairs were clearly defined, and she wrote a letter to her husband, whom, as she imagined, loved her very much, informing him of her intention to marry N.N., and of her, of, of her having embraced the one true faith, and asking him to carry out all the formalities necessary to, for a divorce, which would be explained to him by the bearer of the letter. And so I pray, God, to have you, my friend, in his holy and powerful keeping, your friend Helena. This letter was brought to Pierre's house when he was on the field of Borodino. All right, there we go. Helena has wiggled out of her marriage, it looks like, just about, near enough, and her mother... He's kind of jealous that she's managed to do it. And now she's thinking, oh, she's right, it's so simple. Why didn't I think of that, that little religion loophole? So there you go. Another chapter down. Helena, don't you just love to hate her? She's just, 
I don't know. I don't know. Do you love to hate her? That's the question. Or do you side with her? Maybe you do, you know? Maybe you do. Anyway, that's that one. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.